my girlfriend was away for two days or three days, so uh, so I ended up, you know, doing twenty hour days just to get the time in. <laughs> nice. And it turns out that having a girlfriend is a good idea. Um, <laughs> <laughs> This episode is sponsored by Component One, makers of Widgmo. If you need stunning UI elements or awesome graphs and charts, then go to widgmo.com and check them out. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Hey everybody, and welcome to episode 20 of the JavaScript Jabber Show. This week on our panel, we have Jameson Dance. Howdy. We have Tim Caswell. Hello. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and this week we have a special guest, and that is Matt Party. Did I say that right? Pardee, yeah. Pardee. Is it French? It's something. I don't know. I think so. Cool. Pardee. 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 Please don't say that, actually. Don't, don't, don't do that. <laughs> anyway, um, you're new to the podcast, so why don't you introduce yourself for us? Hi. Um, yeah, it's great to be here. I am the evangelist for Cloud9. That's my official title, but since we're a startup... Um, I do a lot of different things on any given day, and, and one of those things that I do a lot is development. So I actually work on the IDE all the time and um, do marketing, and and then I travel around and tell people about all the cool stuff that we're working on. Awesome. So what exactly is Cloud9? So Cloud9 is an IDE that we built entirely in the browser. And we didn't do it just because it was novel and something interesting to do. Um, we did it because we think that the web is the best delivery mechanism out there for software. And it offers all these really amazing opportunities um, for collaborating on your code and for tapping your projects into uh, run VMs and the power of, of working with um, you know, distributed computers and working from anywhere that you want from any modern browser. If you have your laptop with you or if you go home and you want to get on your desktop or you go to work, et cetera, et cetera. And so um, we've been building it out for the last year and a half. We came out of beta last January at the demo conference. And since then, we've just been innovating like crazy. And um, a couple of weeks ago, we came out with our new release that has collaboration, so real-time code editing. Um, each project is now powered by what we're calling a workspace, which is basically your own VM um, in the cloud, your own runtime environment, and uh, more powerful code completion for JavaScript, and also a local version that you can use in the same way that you use Sublime, for instance. So you can actually launch a project from your terminal by just pressing the C9 command, or entering the C9 command, rather and it'll open up your browser and um, you can synchronize your projects with the cloud or pull them down locally to work on them offline. I'm going to ask, how does it work um, offline? Do, is that a premium feature? I messed around with it a little bit, but it was just a free account. So I couldn't tell what I just didn't know how to do and what it didn't have and what, was, what it had, but you had to be a premium member to use. And so you can use it as a free user, but um, we're working on the workflows. The workflows uh, are not exactly clear at this point, but the idea is that uh, when you launch the local client for the first time, it will ask you to sign in, and then you're synchronized with your hosted account. And then you can see your own online projects, and you can also see all of the projects that you started locally. So if you enter C9 
and then a period after it in a workspace uh, or in a project directory on your hard drive, it'll keep that record inside of the dashboard of your local instance. And then you can synchronize that project with the hosted version. And then when you're on your hosted version, there's a little button in the upper right corner that says synchronize for offline use. And then it'll connect to your local uh, computer and um, and make it available for offline use and download all the files there. So um, we built this because the browsers don't really have the ability to do this yet. And we wanted to make it so that, um, you know, the the full vision of the IDE was realized on all fronts. You know, there's this criticism that um, I think is in the back of everyone's minds about we're operating in the cloud that um, once you're offline, then you're disabled or crippled in some way. And uh, we recognized that, so we wanted to build this thing so your project files were with you wherever you went. So if your project files are with you, then can you actually use Cloud9 effectively offline, or do you have to use another editor? You can use Cloud9. So you actually get um, the whole IDE is opened in the browser locally. So we run a local server, and it's just a small little application. And um, we run a local server to review the files and, um, and manage your connection and all these things. Um, I, sh I should maybe step back a little bit and say that what you see online at c9.io or um, if you're operating locally, the entire IDE interface is something that we've open sourced. So that whole local version, you know, quote unquote, is, um, is an open source package that you can go to GitHub, you can totally download it and use it um, and hack on it and even submit pull requests and all those things. And um, on the hosted version, what we do is we spin up a process of the IDE every time that you open up a workspace. So that's all that is, is just, um, is just okay. the interface that we've taken then and implemented into a local version and spun it up every time that you want to start a project or synchronize it with the hosted version. Cool. That's sweet. Yeah. So I was just playing with it. I, I played with it a couple months ago, um, and then I, I used it again today, and it seems like it has a lot more features now. I was pretty impressed, actually. Um, there were lots of things that I was like, well, this is kind of cool, but it can't do this. And then I'd look in the menu and be like, oh, yes, it can. It has fuzzy file opening, and you can move between tabs and stuff. It really feels like a, a pretty complete experience um, thanks, but, but what is it? So, so that's just me comparing to using it as a replacement for Vim or something, you know, just like a normal editor, I'm editing code on my machine. So, so what do you think are the main advantages over just above and beyond just that it edits text as well as some other text editor, you know? Yeah. So in a lot of ways, you know, of course, when you introduce a product, to the world, you're inevitably compared to what's already out there. And, um, you know, Cloud9 for a long time was sort of just proving this concept that you could actually do this in the browser. Some of the, some people that used it didn't really believe that it was a browser-based application. Um, it may be a stretch for a lot of people who have used it for a while, but um, all the functionality that you get from the IDE existing in the browser was... Um, 
it just seemed to users like, you know, this is a novel concept, this is kind of interesting, but maybe not something I can do for everyday development. And with our latest release, what we've done is, is we've taken that platform and kind of elevated it to the next level with um, all of these features like collaboration, which is something that uh, existed in some projects like Subeth Edit. Um, Google just open sourced one of their um, internal projects that um, is based on collaborative code editing. And um, but it wasn't really it, it wasn't as established as you would say like Google Docs is for doing um, document editing, which is something that I use now uh, on an everyday basis. Um, so collaboration is definitely one of those features that I think everybody expected from a cloud-based IDE. And that's something that we just delivered that uh, we think has the potential to totally change the game of remote development. And you uh, look at the landscape today of how people actually do work and it's a lot different than the way it used to be because you can have a distributed team now. You know, We've proven that with tools like Git or Mercurial, where you can have different people working on the same project, um, commit to their own branches, and then issue a pull request and get that pulled in. Um, but there's still the problem of if you have a remote development team like we do at Cloud9, that um, not everybody is aware of what's going on. You can't really just turn around and ask somebody for help. And um, so we were kind of scratching our own itch there by implementing this, but we think it has much bigger potential than just helping teams get work done. We think that it could help with um, teachers teaching the art of programming in the classroom or, you know, working at a conference, for instance, presenting and having people actually looking at the code as you're typing it instead of squinting their eyes trying to figure out what's going on on the screen. Um, so we think there's a lot of potential there for collaboration that, People, it hasn't really been a part of the culture of programming for so long that people haven't, you know, really tapped into the full power of it. But that's, you know, something that we're really excited about. Um, we just introduced it, and we have a lot, you know, uh, a lot of ways we think we can improve it. But you know, basically, just the ability to see the uh, same code that another user, up to I think 16 users at a time, can be editing the same file and um, to chat with each other at the same time is really exciting. And, um, and then the other thing that I think is, is much more powerful in terms of how you actually get work done every day is what we're calling your workspace in the cloud. So this is the equivalent of putting your computer or your laptop in the cloud. A lot of people would you know, find it easiest to compare it to a VM. It's not exactly the same thing, but you basically have your own hard drive space, your own memory capacity. And if you're a premium user, we even give you a terminal that Tim worked on. And it allows you to connect directly to the box itself. And so every keystroke that you enter is, um, is sent to the server and then reflected back on your screen in the same way that you would do you know, a remote terminal um, normally, like over SSH or something. And um, so what we've done there by doing that, every, every workspace now has its own VM, is we um, make it possible to do things like run Apache or run a MySQL server, Postgres server, or something like that, and run Ruby and Python apps. So in one fell swoop, we went from this JavaScript-specific Node.js tooling to something that and it's still really great for all that stuff, by the way, but to something that is, is really powerful for your general development workflow. 
you can even, I mean, the other day I was compiling a C++ application. I know Tim just compiled Lua on his workspace. So That's um, sweet. Yeah. yeah. I was going to ask you that. Um, <clears throat> I've, I've heard about Cloud9 more in relation to JavaScript, and it has some nifty tools for that. But uh, does does it do Ruby and Python and Lua? So we're yeah, they, Sorry. No, go ahead. I was just going to say the, the ACE editor has is open source and people have contributed highlighting for a lot of languages. And on top of that, we've done some integration at the IDE level for a lot of different platforms. So the ACE editor, what, what, what do you mean by that? That's the actual editor IDE thing, right? Right. That's the, that's the actual text editor widget. It was written by Fabian Mozilla, like joined, like they had this thing called best, but now they use ACE and, it's a really good text editor. It's just a widget that lives in the browser. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. So, um, so we're just starting to get into, you know, so you can actually use the command line. Um, again, this is for, for premium users, but we're going, we're expanding out our run panel so that you can set up a PHP, uh, Apache server combination really easily when you when you click the run button or when you click the preview button to preview PHP files, um, it will actually run it. I think that actually might be available today. We might have done a release a couple days ago that updated that. But also the same thing for Python and Ruby applications. Um, you basically want to be able to hit the run button and have it, uh, uh, have it start up. And um, I know that we are uh, doing a release in a few days that will enable you to deploy your applications, your um, PHP applications to Heroku. So um, we're upgrading the rest of our components to fit um, these kind of one-click visual workflows um, for all of our users. And then premium users can do everything on the command line like they would normally do on their own computer. I just want to say that seems like one of the coolest parts. The collaboration thing is really cool. There's also some other stuff if you really want to, to, to collaborate. You can, you can also do that in other ways. But the built-in, it, it feels like deployment is as much a part of the workflow as editing your code, which is really cool. You can also set that up um, on your own environment, but it's it's awesome that it's built in and it just happens by clicking stuff. Yeah, so there's, some, there's some really cool integrations with, for instance, like uh, Cloud Foundry is a really great one since it's an open source pass. Yeah. You can actually supply your own endpoint. So if you have Cloud Foundry running on your own, you know, Amazon stack or something like that, you can specify that IP address or that URL to deploy directly to that. And so, you know, there's this opportunity here where you can have a staging server or a beta server and then a production server and deploy to each one of those while you're developing. And it and Cloud Foundry, um, for Node.js applications at least, the deployment time and uh, reboot time for a VM is something like 10 seconds. So you can do super, super fast deployments, um, you know, instantly. And I should, I should take this opportunity, actually. It reminded me that we have another feature called Remote SSH that allows Cloud9 to, if you have an Amazon server, for instance, or another hosting provider like Media Temple, um, you can connect directly to that over SSH with Cloud9. And so uh, Tim can talk a little bit about this. It uses uh, a virtual file system. So Cloud9 is just the interface. On the back end, it's pulling in all the files and executing all the commands on your remote server. So if you already have a development server that's much more powerful, 
then you can connect directly to that. And, um, you know, if you have an Amazon server that you want to develop your projects on specifically instead of using Cloud9's backend, then you can do that. So I, I want to jump in here real quick because it seems like you're kind of flirting with hosting. So do you actually provide hosting or is this more of just a, hey, you know, kind of see what your code's doing right at the moment and when you want it out where people can use it, then you deploy it? Yeah, so uh, definitely the latter. We There's this temptation and a, and a really big one and some, some uh, development cloud development providers are doing this um, to do hosting because uh, it's the logical next step, I think, in many people's minds. But we, we think about it differently. Um, the hosting game is, is definitely very fluid, and uh, it's really difficult to um, provide the kind of support that you would need if you were doing a hosting service. And uh, so we're concentrating pretty much specifically on, on development and um, in the way that you characterize the, the development environment kind of starting up when you're using it and shutting down when you're not using it is, um, is where we're really concentrating on. And, um, and then, you know, we integrate really well with all these deployment partners. And also you can use the command line tooling. Everyone can use uh, Git, for instance, on the command line to push to providers like, um, you know, Nojitsu or... Uh, Nodester or Heroku, and um, and do that really easily and really quickly. So I, we we're, we're kind of replicating some of these hosting providers and providing Node.js and PHP and Apache support in Ruby and, and Python, um, and then you can um, test it on Cloud9 and then instantly deploy to all those other providers. I have to say, actually, that that's fairly heartening, just because. Um, I know several people who have gotten into the hosting game and found out that it, it's both very competitive and extremely difficult to do. And mm -hmm. so, you know, the fact that you guys are just going to focus on providing a terrific tool for editing code and, you know, maybe doing a little bit of demo work with it, you know, it, it, it's nice to know that you're not going to go and find a quagmire to be in while you excel in another area and then maybe have that bring the whole thing down. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very, very tempting to do that. But, um, but like you said, it's, it's really competitive. Um, and this is a full-time job, that's for sure. You know, we have about 30 people now working on Cloud9, and we are working night and day to make it a great service and trying to innovate as fast as possible. And, and we wouldn't really be able to do that if we, um, if we were concentrating on providing scalable hosting infrastructure and everything that all the other guys do really well. Right. And, and maybe this is a topic for another time, but I'd really like to talk when you have a chance about, uh, you know, the distributed... Uh, development team and and the nature of how you manage all of that but I, I think that's another topic that we could spend another whole episode on so I don't want to go <laughs> sure. into it right yeah. now yeah. can we talk about the the client side just the JavaScript for the editor Do you, is that something that you are familiar with enough to talk about yeah definitely um, so, so what I mean can you talk about how your code's organized and what tools you guys use and kind of I don't know some challenges and, and problems you've run into maybe and then yeah. Cool you do. Well, yeah. So our our code base. I'd like to pass this off to Tim after I just give a little introduction. If he if he can talk about it at all, because um, we use Common JS uh, formats and modules and things like that, uh, which he has a lot. In the browser, history. you mean, or just yeah, in the browser stuff? and cool. on the back end, we uh, created this framework called Architect, which is uh, a really amazing. Um, 
I mean, I can say it's amazing because I didn't build it. Someone else, some, some other people on my team did. <laughs> but um, it's a really great way to encapsulate different pieces of functionality. And all the existing uses that you have for Node.js are still um, maintainable. So I'm, I'm actually working on, a, an ex, uh, an ex, uh, sorry, I'm working on an architect demo that uses Express as the web server component, but that's just one component of your application. You also, it also has a database layer and an, uh, you know, um, a session layer and things like that. And um, Architect makes it really, really nice to build out your code base without, um, in, in kind of a modern workflow, without compromising functionality or wondering where you're going to put this you know, piece of functionality or how you're going to interact with the database. and all these questions that seem to crop up when you start to build anything that's worth, you know, worth anything. Um, so that's kind of on the server side, and Tim can go into that a little bit more. On the client side, I think we're running around, geez, I don't know, 200,000, 300,000 lines of code at this point. And um, that's Whoa. a pretty, pretty large JavaScript code that's base. That's like Gmail size pretty much, right? Isn't yeah, it? I can Someone imagine. Someone said Gmail was around 400,000 lines of code last time okay, I heard, yeah. so... <laughs> yeah, so it's great. So that's, what's cool about that's a Cloud huge Nine, code base. Wow. Yeah, is and uh, what's cool about Cloud Nine is that each component that you actually see in the editor is a plugin. So the file tree is a plugin. The editor, the tabs, console, et cetera, et cetera. And um, we built it that way so that each component is isolated. A developer can work on a single component and build it up and um, in each extension folder, there's then a few basic files. Typically, there's a skins file, um, a UI file to actually describe the user interface components, and then the primary JavaScript file. And then from there, you can get, for instance, in our language extension, which does language analysis and shows you where you have breaking code in your JavaScript, or you know, um, it provides code completion. That actually has about 10 accessory JavaScript files that are then loaded whenever you need them through Acquire.js. And um, it has workers and things like that. So it's actually, it's not ideal. We're going to be changing it to use Architect on the client side as well. Um, but it actually, if you look at the Cloud9 code base, you can look at how it's, uh, uh, how it's designed on um, github.com slash ajaxorg slash Cloud9. Um, then you can see that on the client side, at least, um, all the different extensions are in their own little folders, and it's it's pretty nice. I don't know, Tim. Do you want to go into how Architect works, or um, sure? Yeah. Okay. So, Architect is a plugin system I wrote for Node for Cloud9. It's it's a very very simple framework. Basically, a plugin is a Node module that can provide or consume services. And so like, if you want a web app, you create a plugin that provides an HTTP service. And then other plugins can consume the HTTP service. And using some API on that service, they can register routes. But Architect itself is completely agnostic to all this. It's just a very basic, what are your dependencies? What do they provide? What do you need? And it hooks it all up. And every, every plugin has to accept a configuration. So the way you build your app is you just write this big JSON file, which is which plugins and what options to send them. And so we refactored the backend of Cloud9 to use this. 
And so you can, you can check out the code and basically build your own IDE, picking the components you want and configuring them how you want. And in the future, this is going to be very useful for testing in isolation, testing together, and all sorts of nice development tasks and QA things. Yeah, so to give a, a brief example, if you have, for instance, um, a database code that has basic operations like get record, insert record, delete, update, and um, you have all this existing code that is that acts as your database layer, you can plop that into its own architect plugin. And then you can use that. It's completely reusable. You can even make it into an NPM package and publish it. And then you can tell Architect that you want to use that plugin as part of your application. And then so wherever you go, when, no matter what application you're using, you can do you can run npm install on your root directory, and it will install that plugin to your node modules folder. And Architect will automatically detect that it's there and load in its resources based on its configuration file. It'll say, I'm a database object. I want to provide this interface and it'll say, you know, let's say it's a Redis, for example, I want to provide um, Redis DB. And then any other plugin can say, I want to use Redis DB. And let's say you have a users plugin or something and you want to say, I want to, I want to get all the users. So just from your users plugin, you can access the Redis DB object just by asking for it. And so if, when you think about, when you think about web application development, typically you're thinking about, okay, I have this web server. Behind the web server, there's going to be users interacting with it. Behind that, we want the database. And behind that, we want logging and all this stuff. And you tend to think of things, you know, if you can think like on a three-dimensional plane, it, it's kind of like the Z-axis. You're going through all of these different layers. But architect, if you visualize an architect, it's more like an ecosystem. And so you have all of these different plugins that are able to grab whatever resources they need and so you don't have to think in terms of how the user is going to interact with it, but rather which resources do you need in each plugin? And it makes it really nice to just configure it that way. That's I hope some cool. of that made sense. <laughs> yeah, that did. You said something earlier when you were talking about the front end code, how you said you use CommonJS um, for most of it, but you also use RequireJS to dynamically load some stuff. I assume when people like open some widget that wasn't used before. How does that work together? So in each um, each plugin, we have the common JS module format, and then each, and I think then inside of it we um, or maybe it's outside of that initial call. I can't remember at the moment. Um, we just use require JS to pull in resources. So um, you can, for instance, uh, if you have a a CSS file or something, you can pull that in. And um, RequireJS is typically, you know, of course, used for JavaScript. But we um, we modified it. I think I don't know if Tim, do you know if we modified it or if RequireJS allows you to prefix files with the text? And then no uh, there are some plugins I think. Okay. Let you do that. So we just. Um, allow you to load in whatever resources you want. And if it's an XML file or a, or a CSS file, then we just prefix the file extension or the file path with text and an exclamation point, And it will load it in as text. 
And then you can, for instance, insert that stuff into the DOM or pass the XML to something else if you want it. So um, require is just used as a, um, you know, as a way to load in resources. And then each extension provides its own um, methods and an interface basically to use its functionality. And um, most of the extensions are actually um, self-contained. And if you want to, for instance, pass off some data to another extension or to tell everyone that something happened, for instance, there's a, a connection extension, or um, it's, I think it's called offline, that will tell you um, when the IDE has come online. And that's a bro event that's broadcasted across um, the IDE object. So there's an uh, IDE object that each plugin can load in, and it's part of the core library. And then if they listen for the offline event or the online event, then they can enable or disable functionality as part of that extension. And um, it's not always the prettiest thing. For instance, um, we have two different extensions for the tabs container for the editor, and then we have the editor extension. And the editor might need to know when the tabs extension has loaded. And since these things are loaded asynchronously, you listen for the event that says that the tabs extension has loaded and then the editor can do its thing. And so it's not the, always the cleanest um, interface. You have to plan for some contingencies and, and some weird cases, some weird edge cases. But um, generally speaking, it, it all works pretty well. And with our packaged version of Cloud9, all of this works its magic and loads up in about 1,500 milliseconds, I think. So it actually it all it all works pretty well together. So I'm I'm wondering, um, do your developers use this for their own development? I have so Architect, for instance, has just been out for just uh, a couple months, I think, and it is open source. Um, and I am starting to work on some demos. I've written the proverbial to-do application. Right now I'm working on something that uses uh, GitHub's OAuth. And uh, I just love it. As a developer, I'm, I'm just completely enamored with using this, this technique. On the client side, when we modify architect for, you, for doing your client side code like this as well, I'm going to start using that. You know, it, it's, it's, I, I like the format, the architecture of the client side libraries. Um, that uh, the client side architecture that we use for Cloud9. And, um, and it, it encapsulates things pretty nicely. But um, I think the broader issue on everyone's mind is, you know, what kind of client side JavaScript libraries are out there that really allow me to quickly and easily develop nice interfaces and good applications for the web. And that's something that hasn't really been decided yet. So that's always something that's on my mind. You know, what, if I'm going to develop my own application, I'm settled on Architect.js and, and Node on the back end uh, pretty much exclusively. But uh, on the client side, you know, I'm waiting for Architect.js to be ported to that. But then the next step is what do we actually use to develop uh, or, you know, what rich client-side library do we use to develop um, applications? And I think that's still an open question. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm also wondering if, um, if Cloud9 is the IDE of choice for your developers, or do they yeah. all use something else like Vim or... I won't, I won't name names, but some people are still holding on to uh, 
<laughs> I think there's one or two uh, hard hardcore guys who are. Uh, the reality is, is that um, up until a couple of weeks ago, we weren't really able to use Cloud Nine. It was kind of it was we had to close the loop on local and server side development, and also um, enable workspaces to have VMs. And um, and now we're starting to move our process onto the platform. So a lot of the things that we're doing now are online. Um, I know Tim, for instance, was uh, has been a pretty hardcore Linux developer for a long time, and he's using um, C9.io for a lot of his for a lot of his development now. Um, at least he's just it might be proof of concept for him at this point, but. Um, but yeah, I've you know we've been talking about doing this for a long time, and now it's actually impossible for us to do things like compile Lua in the cloud. And um, so yeah, generally speaking, I think ninety nine percent of us are using Cloud Nine to develop Cloud Nine and the local version. And then once we start to upgrade the rest of the processes for online development, the rest of the architecture, then we'll be able to all move on to the online environment. Yeah, that's really exciting for me just because it seems like if you're building it but not using it, then it's really hard for you to identify where it falls apart. And right. the other thing that's nice about that is that as you develop it, you know, you, you start finding areas where what's there is passable, but it's like, gee, it'd be real nice to have a shortcut that would do X, Y, or Z. And just be able to put that in would, would be a nice uh, thing as well. I do wonder though a little bit, is this extensible? So for example, if if I'm doing straight up JavaScript development, it seems like you have a, a lot of nice tools, but let's say I'm building a Ruby on Rails app in it, um, you know, can I build extensions so that it'll run my rake tasks and, you know, migrate my database and do all of the nifty things that are built into that? Yeah, so that's something, you know, um, integrations and uh, testing are, um, you know, we're, we're solving the architectural foundation issues, and then when we can move up from that, then we can solve um, then we can solve those really specific works workflow issues, rather right. workspace workflow. So that's something that we're still going to work on. Um, but it's we think of it in terms of building a house. You know, if you don't have a foundation, you really don't have anything. So we're working from that point and then moving upward, and we'll tackle all those things in the next. You know, before the end of the year, we're looking to have full PHP, Ruby, um, Python support, so that you get that. You know, advanced code analysis and um, code completion and uh, integration testing and, and things like that that really make you a happy developer. Cool. Now, oh, I, I, I have another question. Sorry, Jameson. I'm going to jump in again. Um, so you said that there's a command line feature. Um, I'm, I'm playing with it. I haven't seen it. It may just be because I'm on the free version. Is, yeah. is, is that sort of a custom command line version sort of like the console that you see in maybe the chrome web development tools or is this more along the lines of like mirroring a bash shell or something so there's two things there's um i actually we have a pending pull request from yours truly that uh shows the command line at the bottom by default so there's there's two interfaces uh, if you go to the view menu and then you select command line it will show the one at the bottom which is um, a customized version of a terminal that we developed 
and has been in there since day one. Um, it allows you to type in commands like ls, pwd, get commands to commit your code and push it, and so on and so forth. And then we also introduced this uh, terminal, which is, yeah, that's the... Um, that's a premium feature, but if you go to view terminals and then new terminal, it will give you a direct connection to your uh, VM, and then you can run commands. So um, I think we probably should have talked before the show and upgraded your account so that you could have seen this. That's what I. That's what I thought. I, I was playing okay. with it this morning, and like, man, I really should have asked. Like <laughs> well, when we to, decided we were going to do this. To be perfectly honest, we didn't give you guys a whole lot of notice, so. Um, you know, that that's understandable, but I mean, even what's here, I, it just, it seems extremely, you know, useful and, and it has a lot of the features that you want. The other thing is, is that it has VI bindings. Yay. Not only does it have VI bindings, but yeah, if you, you have that, use if you have that Vim. premium terminal, you can go directly into Vim mode. Yeah. I, ha I have to say this Vim bindings or usability feature at this point for me. And, and, and by usability feature, I mean, usability requirement. So our, our biggest day for um, our latest launch was um, when we announced initial Vim support for cloud nine. <laughs> there were just tens of thousands of people flocked to our site. All of a sudden we went, whoa, people really want Vim mode. <laughs> yeah. You said so. You said earlier um, you talked about code completion and in playing with it. That was another thing I was really impressed with. I'm a, a Vim guy, so. I haven't got code completion set up very well yet. There's some stuff that just kind of looks at words that you use in the file, but it doesn't know anything about syntax or, or APIs or anything. And it seems like the code completion in Cloud9 does. What do you guys use to do that? We use um, a library that one of our developers, so we have a couple guys who did um, their PhDs and and language stuff. I'm not even this smart to even describe what they do, but um, one of our guys built a library called Treehugger, which is kind I've of a play that. on abstra uh, abstract syntax uh, tree. And um, it's abstract enough to handle any language, uh, as far as I know. And so uh, we use that to do language analysis. And it's what gives you this, um, if you define, for instance, a global variable without using the var um, you do just do you know x equals three. It will give you a warning. It will underline it in yellow. It'll give you a warning that says you know this variable hasn't been defined before. You're basically introducing a global variable into the JavaScript, um, you know, and then it will also show you other interesting things like if you type um, array dot l e n g h t instead of t h, it'll say you know did you mean length? <laughs> so it does That's a lot sweet. of cool stuff like if that. If you do a GitHub search for L-E-N-G-H-T, you find tons and tons <laughs> of results. So I never thought about that. We should build our own bot that analyzes jobs. <laughs> does pull requests. Yeah, exactly. Or maybe GitHub should do that. I don't know. Um, yeah, so uh, we use Treehugger to do the analysis, and it has its own language so that you can ask it questions, like show me all of the variables that have never been defined or show me, um, you know, I don't know, something about, you know, the keyword this used in a, um, an anonymous function or something like that. It will actually tell you all those instances and give you the line numbers and characters, character numbers and things like that. And um, 
it's incredibly useful and it's really cool to actually see it. I think if you look up treehugger.js, um, the guy who wrote it, Zef Hemmel, who's on our team, um, has a few demonstrations of it. You can see on YouTube or Vimeo. And, um, and then I haven't kept up, haven't been up to speed on what our latest developments are, but we hired another guy, um, Lenart Katz, who is working on building that out so that it an- analyzes the entire code base. And um, we'll give you, so right now it'll actually do code completion for Node.js, the core libraries. It'll also do code completion for all of your open files. And in the future, it'll do it for your entire project and, wow. uh, and Node modules so that you get the real kind of IntelliSense that people have expected from Visual Studio. All right, cool. That sounds like a killer feature. That. If I can't figure out some way to wrangle that into Vim, that would be enough to make me consider switching. <laughs> <laughs> no, no Vim switchers here. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, is there anything else that you guys want to talk about? We need to get to the picks pretty soon because I'm under some time constraints. But, uh, you know, we do have a few more minutes if you, if there's something you want to go over. I, I think um, I the one of the most incredible features I, and I just mentioned this briefly earlier is this um, this ability to do remote file system and it's not something that we heavily promoted in our release um, but this idea that if you have your own development server I think there's this dream of every developer um, having their own development server that has all this awesome power and it exists entirely in the cloud so you can share your project with everyone um, you know, we have this ability to connect remotely over um, over a node utility that we built, and uh, to your own server, and run your code and run your commands on your own server. And Cloud Nine basically acts as the interface for that. So um, I just wanted to promote that briefly because um, I think it's a really cool feature. And on Cloud Nine, even premium or free uh, free accounts get a free. Um, private projects so they can test this out it's just when you create a new project on the dashboard it um it gives you the option to use ssh and then you type in your ssh details you just have to copy the um the key that we give you the ssh key to your server make sure you have node installed and then um and then we'll connect to it and then you get your own server right on cloud nine so um, that's also awesome. So yeah. could you effectively then be live editing code on your own server? Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah, and running all of your commands uh, on your own server. So everything is piped to and from. The file tree is abstracted, so we don't have to worry about that. All of your files are loaded in. You can even drag and drop your files directly to the file tree, and it'll upload it directly to your server. Wow. So, so this is my pet feature. Yeah. Because I, I have a bunch of sites that are on Linodes, on these Linux VPS boxes. Uh-huh. And one of the main reasons I use Linux is because Linux has a really good VFS built into GNOME. You can edit your files as if they're local. And so I made sure this feature was added to Cloud9 because <laughs> it's a requirement for me. <laughs> right. That makes sense. That's really cool. Yeah. So, so the next time I get a, a rescue project from a client where the developer didn't use any sort of version control. I can just use something like this to connect to it and edit it on the fly. Yeah, exactly. And 
I, I used to do client work before starting with Cloud9, and um, I poured it. Some of my old clients still contact me, of course, and ask for little updates. And um, I ported all of the connection settings to Cloud9 um, FTP projects because we handle those, and then remote server projects over SSH. And just the, you know, I used to use Coda and having to manage connections from my laptop and my desktop, even though it sounds so stupid, it's not like this big deal, but. Um, one set of credentials goes out of date and then and then you have to update it getting the credentials from the other computer or if even if I go to a client's house um, I can edit on on their computer so um, you know all these things that it just takes care of because it's all on the web now and we um, we tunnel the connection is is really a crazy awesome feature nice all right well let's let's get into the picks um Jameson do you want to do you want to kick us off with picks Sure. So my first pick is a little um, OSX utility. It goes up in your menu bar. It's called Menu Meters. Uh-huh. And if you ever find yourself opening Activity Monitor on, on OSX all the time to check, like, is there some crazy process running away or um, am I using tons of bandwidth on my network or something, um, this just puts it all up in little widgets on your on your. Uh, menu it's pretty sweet you can customize how they look so it's fine it's free it's it's really nice i I refer to them often um my other one i've been playing a lot with go recently and at google io they had a great talk by rob pike he's one of the inventors of of go and it's called go concurrency patterns um concurrency in go is one of the things that i thought was the coolest it it was the most one of the most unique parts of it to me um so it he he shows off how to do concurrency in Go, and it's it's really cool. Um, lots of other things in Go are really nice, but they they're just like nice how you would expect them to be nice. It's not like mind blowing, but this was pretty sweet. So those are my picks. Awesome. Um, AJ said that he was going to come in. He was going to find a quiet space and actually join us for the picks. AJ, are you on? I'm here. You hear me? Yep. Uh, okay. You're lurking. Uh, yeah, just lurking today. So, two picks I've got. One is super better. I was watching a TED Talk, and, well, first of all, a while ago, I was just thinking about how sad it is that there's a lot of people that are just addicted to games. Um, you know, they play World of Warcraft all day, and that's all they do, and they lose their job, and they drop out of school, and I've, you know, I've actually had roommates where that's what has happened. Um, because they just get addicted to online gaming. So I thought, wouldn't it be cool if there was a game where in order to to advance in the game, you have to do interactions in the real world that are actual real things that will make you really happy. Um, and so somebody who is a game designer was going, she had like a concussion and then that caused her to go through a period of, of depression because her brain was physically damaged. And she couldn't and, play WoW anymore? Uh, yeah, she couldn't play WoW anymore, but she designed a game that is called Super Better, and you, I'm not quite sure how it works yet, because I've only done one day of it so far, but uh, you you basically put in things that you like to do, and then you have to do them in order to get, to get the points to advance in the game, and so it's it's like a game to help you overcome challenges or or to help motivate you to do something that you want to accomplish, so... Uh, that's really cool. And then I discovered Adafruit, which is the 
website that's, that's really big for the Arduino people. And it's just got all these cool little sensors on it and everything. And I, I got my first Arduino a few weeks ago. And so I'm now I just bought some stuff off of Adafruit so that I'll have a breadboard and wires and one of these breakout kits. Um, and I also have my Raspberry Pi now too. So I got a few things off of there for that. And I'm, I'm excited to start getting more hands-on type uh, tech work. So are you addicted to physical device gizmo playing stuff? Uh, yes, I am a little bit addicted to... That was eloquently put, Chuck. <laughs> I was trying to find the right <laughs> words, and those were the ones that came out. <laughs> so, <laughs> All right. Tim, do you have some picks for us? Uh, yes. Quick note, I also have a million small electronic devices in my home. My, my bathroom nightlight is a Arduino Uno with a program that color cycles an LED. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> I would I mean, love I, to have stuff like that. The things that people do with their time sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it only costs like 30 bucks for one of these, and you can make anything out of it. You know what my dream is? My dream is to build my own clap light with an Arduino. Your That's own what? That my clap light. You know where you clap them on and off? Oh, right. So, so I... I don't have very good dreams, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I'm aiming low. <laughs> I still want to find one of those videos, the clap on, clap off, the <laughs> dumb song. Anyway. So, so for my pick, I, I don't know. Mike Paul has been posting some really cool stuff on the Luigit wiki lately. He's the, he's the author behind the Luigit engine. He's a really, really smart VM hacker. And so he's been writing these articles, like his most recent one is allocation syncing optimizations. And it's a, it's a VM optimization he does in the engine but he explains the scripts and what kind of scripts trigger the optimizations. And as a person who writes scripts all day, I like understanding what kind of code is good for the engine and why. And so it's a really good read. It's, I mean, there may be similar things for V8 and JavaScript engines, but I haven't seen a lot of writings as clear as the stuff Mike is writing. Oh, I'm, cool. I'm always concerned with those VM specific optimizations that they'll go out of date. Like, how do you make sure that, are you just always trying to stay on top of what the newest stuff is for writing good code for the VM you're on, or? Well, you, you don't optimize for the VM. What you do is you understand the VM and then take that into account when you write your code. There's a, there's a very subtle but important difference. I mean, ideally, you write the code that's easiest for you and the VM author, author optimizes for your code. Yeah. But, but I mean, certain patterns of code are simply easier to implement. If you know how a computer works at all the different levels, then you can be a lot more efficient in your decisions. Yeah, and I have to ask too, um, it, which code is more valuable, the code that runs faster on the VM or the code that's less bug prone? I mean, yeah, obviously it needs to be stable. I mean, if, right. if it's wrong, who cares how fast it is? Right. So just be aware of what it does, but write good code. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the point. All right, and any other picks? We kind of derailed you for a minute. That's all I got. Okay, cool. So um, my first pick is motor oil, and uh, I pointed this out. Drink? Come on, Chuck. My uh, I pointed this out on the Ruby Freelancer show. Um, (laughs) If you get busy and neglect to change or put more oil into your car's engine, bad things tend to happen. Oh no! Uh, For example, when you're driving out to your in-laws' house. And you get to about the furthest point from either end, the city on either end of the canyon, 
Yeah. Um, so I either uh, broke a conrod or blew up a piston or something because I didn't have enough oil in the car. And I lost four days to replacing the engine in my car. So my pick is motor oil because it's a very handy thing to have in your car. I uh, once, I it's once also not a drink. Not a drink. <laughs> don't, don't drink it. <laughs> I once had an oil leak and shot a piston through my oil pan. Awesome. <laughs> pretty much destroyed the car. <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah, we went down to the junkyard and we, we bought a secondhand engine and uh, put it into the car. And yeah, that, that just entails dropping the whole front end out of the car and then taking the engine off and then putting the new engine on and putting it back in. Sounds simple, except for that everything connects to the engine. So yeah. Um, but it's fixed now. Um, it only cost me about four days, which I'm trying to decide still if it was worth it. But anyway, um, my other pick is um, actually something that we talked about on the Ruby Freelancer show today, this morning. Um, we interviewed CJ Hayden, who is the author of Get Clients Now. And um, Get Clients Now is a book for uh, uh, service workers like freelance developers. And uh, it basically gives you a 28-day process for uh, increasing the amount of uh, or the number of clients that you're finding. And it is so, it, it's fairly comprehensive, but it really helps you focus on the areas where your marketing pipeline needs help. And uh, it's just a super book. And so I'm going to go ahead and pick that on here just because I, I was so impressed. And I was also really impressed with just, you know, all of the good stuff that she um, went over in the, the interview on the other podcast. So, um, go check that out. I'll put a link in the show notes to both the book and the episode on rubyfreelancers.com. And, uh, anyway, those are my picks. Um, uh, Matt, what are your picks? So I didn't know that uh, we were doing this. Oh, who talked to you? (laughs) And, um, you can mention anything that's cool. I mean, most of the time, Jameson picks some kind of music or something. Sometimes we pick TV shows or just whatever. Right. Let me see if I can think of something. Um, what's something that I've been using lately? Yeah, something that puts oh, you up I, on I Cloud9. I got a good one. Um, can we post it in the show notes? Yes, we will put it in the show notes. It's, it's a script. And, um, okay, so my pick is the, this script that one of our developers created that you can put in your uh, bookmarks toolbar that um, for people who are creating a lot of issues on GitHub, you can just click this link and it'll automatically inject some predefined text that you want to have appear. So if you have a certain structure for filing bug reports like steps to reproduce or suggested assignee or you know description and things like that, this will automatically inject all of that template text into the issue body, and then you can just fill out the details. That sounds really cool. Yeah, go ahead and uh, put it in the Skype chat, and we'll we'll use it. Or if you want to put it in a gist and then put a link in the link to the gist, that's also that's probably good. a good idea. So uh, yeah, sounds great. All right, cool. well we'll go ahead and wrap this up. Um, thanks, Matt, for coming onto the show again, and um, thank you. You know. Uh, Tim is also an expert over there at Cloud9, so we'll we'll give him a thank you even though he's a regular. Um, yeah, thank that was that was really cool to listen to. Glad you liked it. Thanks. Awesome. Yeah, I'm looking forward to giving it a little bit more of a try. 
Um, so you can find the show in the iTunes store. You can also subscribe to the show if you're using something else um, just by going to javascriptjabber.com. If you do look us up in the iTunes store, don't forget to leave us a review. We really appreciate it and it helps us kind of get up in the rankings where other people can find us. Um, also, if you recommend us on Twitter or anything, uh, the Twitter handle for the show is JSJabber. And uh, beyond that, we will just uh, look forward to talking to you next week. All right, see you guys later. Thanks, guys. Adios. See ya. Bye-bye.